0: So the big question is this, how are real estate investors who don't have a ton of free time, don't have access to off-market deals and didn't start life on third base, how do we grow a real estate business conservatively to support our families, finally leave the corporate rat race and build a legacy? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Ed Matthews, and this is Real Estate Underground. This is the Real Estate Underground podcast show number 28. Hey everybody, Ed Matthews here at C.T. Ria's Real Estate Underground. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today is a really cool episode. This is a gentleman that I recently met, what, about six months ago, Chris? Give or take. Yeah, about that, yeah. And he is one of the guys that I hope I grow up to be someday. Chris is a syndicator here in Connecticut. He's got a bunch of experience in Connecticut and the Midwest. So with that, I'd like to introduce Mr. Chris Moran. How are you, sir? It's great being here. So glad to see you again and really happy to be here on the show today. Absolutely. Well, thank you. You and I have gotten to know each other over the last several months. And honestly, I follow you on Facebook and I'm blown away by the progress you're making in, quite frankly, a really difficult buyer's market. So for those of us out in the audience who don't know who you are, why don't you just give us a rundown on who you are and what you do for a living? Yeah, sure. I feel like I'm really
1: bad at this sometimes. So real me, and I'm going to give the high points. You know, I'm going to share the points I think resonate with a lot of folks. There was a point in time where I was the teacher coming out of grad school. I was broke, loaded with debt, and I think I was making thirty-six thousand a year at the time. I knew I was meant for more, and so I aspired to get into real estate. If you fast forward, I I left teaching and I jumped in. This was right around when the recession hit. Pure coincidence. Didn't know what I was doing. Didn't know how to spell real estate started buying a couple of courses. And as you know, lots of different strategies. Some of them work in your market, some don't. Maybe I was one of the lucky ones. I figured it out. I still remember my first deal. I uh, got a call. So I was doing a lot of direct mail marketing. I was kind of struggling with brokers getting offers accepted. I was outbid by experienced landlords. And lo and behold, I get a call on my phone one day from a contractor and said, Hey, are you one of those flipper guys? And I said, "Yeah, why?" He was calling me off a bandit sign I had hung in Manchester, Connecticut, and you know that was my first deal. And I'd really, at that point, I hadn't even ever seen a real estate contract. I didn't even know what it looked like. Didn't know how to put in a contract. But he had a woman who was going into a nursing home, had him go over there to do some work, and he's like, "I need a flipper for this." Didn't have the money and was struggling at that point to raise the income. As you know, it's easy to get the debt, but you still have to come up with the 20, 30%. Pitched a guy in Starbucks who turned out to be a CEO of a very large company here in Connecticut, personal net worth in the hundreds of millions. Built a relationship. He funded the first one and committed to putting a million dollars on the street every month from there on out. And so it was kind of
0: hit
1: the ground running. Yeah, it was a, a really crazy scenario, and I'm happy to share more of those details. I'm trying to give you the skinny version of the story, but yeah, we're gonna talk. Yeah, about- I was off to the races, and at the time, I was also I had gone on to become. I'd gotten some jobs in business and I found my way into a traveling consulting firm, which you and I had talked about. And some people might see that as a hurdle because I was on a plane Monday and I was coming home on Thursday, left me very little time here in Connecticut. But I said, if I'm spending, for example, four days every week for the next eight weeks in Detroit, why wouldn't I just call some realtors and build a team and raise some money and do some business in Detroit, right? And so I used a hurdle as an opportunity. And before I knew it, I was kind of trying to do deals all over the place. Some successful, some not, you know, it was certainly a learning curve early on. But I made it work and I did really well. Flipped a bunch of houses and through my sort of presence that I was building online, as you see there today, people were bringing me deals. So I was finding other ways to get involved as like a GP or help raise the income or help with the asset management. So lots of creative ways to just sort of wedge my way in. Around 2015, we were well out of the recession and housing inventories were drying up. So it was getting more competitive to get properties. A lot of people were coming off the sidelines, getting into the business and creating bidding wars. And, and I, quite frankly, my career was growing, my business was growing and I was burning out. And I remember the day I said to myself, this is not passive income. This isn't why I got into real estate. And it took five years or so, but the light bulb finally went off and I was like, I got to buy multifamily. And from there on out, it was purely a multifamily game. Fast forward to today, I recently started a new company focused on buying commercial apartment complexes through syndications in the Midwest. So in very short order, we've got a couple under contract, one in Indiana, one in Kentucky, potentially another 54 units in Kentucky. We're waiting on word. We just submitted an offer on 150 units in Nashville. So we're off to the races. Things are looking really good. And maybe to the surprise of some of the listeners here, I continue to work that W-2. So I wear it like a badge of honor. I think a lot of people are too quick to go and replace it. I like to add income streams, not take them away. So I still work full time. And so I'm happy to share with folks how I managed
0: to do that. And do you sleep? Very little. Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) I take a lot of coffee. Right, right on. Thank God for espresso, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, So what drew you to real estate? You're a smart guy, right? And you, yeah. you're extremely well educated. You're very capable in terms of the skill set you bring to any corporate situation. I mean, heck, you could have started any business. Why real estate? I can't even recall how or why I got the itch. Maybe
1: I was just born with it, but I think we all know real estate creates more millionaires than any other business model out there. There's just no other way you can build that equity and passive cash flow at the same time. And for me, early on, that's what I wanted. And early on, I was too young to say, I want to quit my job. I didn't really, you know, I didn't have that pain yet. I just wanted to add income streams and hedge for retirement and build long-term wealth that I can tap into. But that was a real strong driver for me. So I decided, you know, real estate, that was going to be it. And I've never looked back. And it's funny, you say you could start any other business. One of the things I would add in that journey, when you're out there in the field, you're taking action, you're doing deals, you meet a lot of people. And sometimes opportunities fall in your lap you never dreamed up. And at one point in time, I did start a Ferrari wholesale dealership. So we were buying Ferraris at auction and selling them to high-end buyers in New York City and California. Because I thought, why buy houses? Why can't I flip cars? And so that was something I did for a while too. Well, that's fun. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I wish I knew you back then because I could use the Testarossa. Right about now, Yeah, yeah. I'll be all right. I'm more of a classic guy. So the new stuff is just too, I'm not a supercar guy. I'm a classic. Yeah, I, I hear you. So let's talk about your focus today. So you have gone headfirst into the large commercial multifamily business and right. clearly doing quite well. So what brings you to that business and what do you love about it and where are you taking it? Early on, it was a little bit driven by the pandemic, like a lot
1: of changes in our lives, you know, with housing prices going up and the expense pressures, right? Mm -hmm. We're just pushing down the margins, what I could earn on the smaller stuff. I typically buy in the four to six unit range around where I buy up here in North Central Connecticut. And so the economics on those deals just wasn't working anymore. So I said, maybe it's time for me to go upstream, grow up and start buying the big stuff. And so that was really, um, I think, a reaction to the market. And I also knew it was time to hedge. I couldn't buy the same type of asset class and the same type of markets for all eternity. I wanted to continue to hedge the portfolio. So, Very quickly started to round out my education in that space, get stronger, underwriting acumen, expand my investor network. And you know I basically started to infiltrate the circles of folks who are playing in that space. They buy $50, $60 million worth of property a year. So I I made sure I had the right folks overlooking my decisions. And really, I just hit the ground running like I did initially when I went after residential real estate. So a lot of unknowns, questions unanswered, but I knew I was surrounding myself with the things, with people that knew the things I didn't. So if I did it once, I could do it again. And what I love about the business is obviously the opportunity to scale so quickly, right? But I think what people need to understand, it's very much, you'll hear us say, it's very much a fee-based business on the operator side. You get large sums of money paid out to you upfront on the acquisition in terms of, quote, an acquisition fee, right? But a lot of the times the cash flow distributions that are happening over a three, five, seven year hold period, those in large are going to your investors. And so there's right. the reality is there's very little money at times coming to the GP during that time, but you're managing the asset. And you get your second big payout when you sell. So there could be a period of five years or so where you're making very little and you're working hard. And in theory, you're closing on properties every year. So you're continuing to get those fees. You can still earn the equivalent of a very hefty salary and you're building equity. But that's why one of the things you've seen more recently, I'm also getting into student housing deals and continuing to buy, I wouldn't say residential, four to eight unit apartment buildings here in Connecticut, because that's the
0: cash flow that fills the gaps in between. So I'm continuing to play in both worlds. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, we do the same thing at Clark Street. Clark Street's focuses on yeah, ten to twenty five units. I try to stay below where the institutional money and the players that are at much deeper pockets than I do. That's right. Play. That's right. And those are great cash flow if you, when you can find them. And then with Sarah Point, my own syndicate that we're launching very soon, that is focused on fifty units and above. Nice. You make a great point.
1: Everything like 25 to 75 units, it's too big for the guys who are still playing small and it's too
0: small for the guys who like to play big. It's kind of the forgotten zone. And so it it does open doors for us. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of your business, where are you taking it? how big do you want to get? I mean, is this a generational wealth play? Is this i I'm going to get to 500 units and reassess. I mean, it's absolutely a generational wealth play, but I said
1: to my team early on, we have to have a vision that we're working towards. This can't be willy nilly. And so we said, I believe it was March. We were having a quarterly planning session. And I said, how about 2,500 units by 2025? It just rang. And so we have it right up there on our title page for all of our collateral that we build and share with investors and brokers, and they love it. We're shooting for 2,500 units by the end of 2025. And yeah, generational wealth is certainly the key, but now that's a great aspiration that we're working towards.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And, And it's, you bring up something that I talk with a lot of entrepreneurs about, but also real estate investors, right? And that is, it's really hard to attain a goal when you haven't, well, clearly defined the goal. And you know, the other part of it is, is that when you clearly define it, then broadcast it because a, it holds you accountable, right? And b, the people that know you, like you, trust you, want to do business with you, they engage on that, right? They're like, I like and trust Chris Moore, and he's done right by me all these deals. I want to help him get to the twenty five hundred. Absolutely, I'm in on the next deal, right? Yeah, yeah, that's big. It's big. So let's talk about that circle of investors. Yes. I want to hear about the guy you met at Starbucks because I think you were executing on something that I like to call the three foot rule, which is if I'm, <laughs> if I'm consuming oxygen within three feet of another human who is consuming oxygen, invariably I bring real estate into the conversation. Right. And so that includes Starbucks and Dunkin Donuts and CVS and the grocery. everything. Yeah, you got I'm. it. So tell me all about it. I love exactly what you just said. It
1: resonates so strongly with me, both in terms of how my philosophy for how I approach it and what I tell others. And that is tell everyone what you're doing and find a way to talk about real estate all the time. I mean, that's really the only way, especially early on, you're going to raise capital. I say, if you're not talking about it, it's like opening up a retail store without putting up a sign or any marketing people don't, they don't know how to engage you. They don't know what you're trying to sell. Right. They don't know how to help you, right? And so, yeah, I was in Starbucks. I was in a line. So this is 2009, late 2009. So we're right at the, like, the depth of the recession. I mean, things are bad. People are feeling the pain. And this gentleman, he's dressed very casually. So I have no idea. He's super high net worth. He's talking to somebody else and they're talking about the markets being down. I can't remember the comments specifically, but today I'm almost embarrassed to tell this story because it's just lame. It was something effective of like, well, you should invest in real estate. Well, I got their attention. They turned around. We had some banter back and forth, some jokes. I got a coffee and we kind of sat near each other. So we just started talking and I ended up building a relationship with this guy. And he invites me to his office and I went to his business the next day and I'll, I'll keep it confidential, but it's a very yeah. large company on the side of 84. You can see it from the highway. It might give you a clue. It turns out he's a CEO and he had been interested in lending as kind of a hard money lender. He had some rich friends that were doing it and one conversation led to another. And and it was just really started with that courage to just speak up and, and build a conversation. And now I do it everywhere. Like you said, I used to raise money in the weirdest places, sitting on a train, going to New York City for work. At work, people come in on a Monday. The first thing they say to you is, what'd you do this weekend? Even if I was at a Red Sox game, I don't say that. I was like, oh, I was looking at properties, making offers. I can't wait to buy my next apartment building because I wanted to see their reaction. And you'll find that most people, they have a secret fantasy about buying real estate too. You bring it up anywhere, they're going to be like, oh, wow, that's great. You know, I know so-and-so is into that. And you're like, you've opened the door to that conversation and you can take them down that path. I have lots of cool techniques for how I continue to gauge their interests and sort of guide them down to the close. But but yeah, it's just a, it's just a matter of talking about it all the time and it doesn't have to feel forced. There's a lot of ways to do it very organically. Like I said, one of my favorite ones is catching up with old friends. I always say, ask the person, so what excites you these days? They answer your question. It's a very unique question. They kind of stop and then, well, nobody's asked me that. It's normally, how how have you been? And what do they do when they're done answering the question? They always say, and how about you? Yep. How about you, right? And so now if I launch in, oh, it's funny US, I'm in a real estate, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Versus if they're like, how you been? And I launch into the, it feels like a sales pitch, right? So there's just different ways you can tee up. I mean, it, to some people, it sounds silly, but these are little simple tricks I use to just weave that conversation in and raise Absolutely. money all
0: the time. Buying investment real estate is both thrilling and sometimes stressful. Without a lending expert by your side, most investors don't stand a chance. That's where CTREA funding comes in. CTREIA Funding was founded by investors to help investors just like you fund their deals. Whether you're buying a single family rehab, an apartment building, or really any investment property, our team will understand your deal and help you close quickly. Go to ctreiafunding.com or call us at 860-876-0572 you're clearly someone who has a bias towards action, right? And one of the things that I admire about successful real estate investors, entrepreneurs in general is they all share that typical quality, right? We have like a CT references. I affectionately call them the dreamers, right? It's the people that you see every month at the meetings and they attend the webinars and all that. And they would love to do what we all do for a living and just haven't gotten there yet for whatever reason, right? Whatever, And they're yeah. get their own. So what separates those dreamers from those entrepreneurs? Like how do you find that because i think the bias towards action is a skill set it's a skill not a birthright right that's fair right that's right like it's it's not something that just makes you different at birth it's
1: nothing different about you and I Ed. right? It's just a matter that we took action, I think. And what people need to stop and realize is like, you have complete control over that. And if that's true, if that's the one thing separating you from your goals, and I'm telling you you have control over it, then tomorrow, it's just a matter of making different decisions. When I talk to folks over the years, I've mentored a lot of people, as you know, we've talked about it. It usually comes down to a couple of things, lack of clarity in what to do there's so much information out there. So when I started, information was hard to find. Now you can find anything you need on any strategy in the world, but it gets confusing. What's the right approach for you, for your situation, your market, your goals, et cetera. But you know, like the good folks like Ed Matthew and CT Rhea, they can help you with that. Right. So getting clarity and getting the right knowledge, that's no longer really an excuse to shy away from some action. Having the right support system is really important, right? Again, Ed Matthews and the folks at CT Rhea are the perfect support system. And I say, there's a lot of people that go to those types. He didn't pay me to say this, by the way. People go to these meetings on me next time we're together. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) I always say people also like they suffer from secret agent syndrome. They're a little bit shy, a little bit uncomfortable. Like you've got to speak up. You've got to be vulnerable. You've got to expose your questions. People are there to help you. But I'll tell you the number one thing that I see that sort of underpins that lack of action the most is it's not so much that there's a lack of a goal. It's a lack of clarity and it's not personal. It's one thing to like, you know, I see Grant Cardone getting off planes and flashing all this money and like that's motivating as heck, right? Like That makes me want to jump in the business too. But how long is that really going to last if that's not something that's personal to you, if it doesn't align to your values? Like I'm sitting in my 900 square foot ranch right now, right? Because I don't care about those big flashy things. I don't care about a big flashy home. So the first week that goes by and sellers aren't calling me back or they're telling me to go pound sand and investors are not choosing to invest in my deals. That motivation's that's just gonna die really quickly, right? right? It's not a strong enough why to pull me through. So I think getting really clear on what your goal is for you and why you need it, and what it's gonna do for you is the most important thing because it pulls you through those moments when things get hard or you're simply scared to take action, right? Like agree more. Yeah. There's the saying, you know, if you want it as bad as you want to breathe, you're gonna find a way to succeed. And I just yep. think but getting honest about your goals is really important. Now here's the thing, Ed, here's another plug for you because I think you guys have a CT RIA meeting coming up on Monday, right? Correct. So today is what? Wednesday, the days are all blending together. Okay. So the folks that are listening, if you're listening to this, it's a matter of taking the next couple of days to get really clear on your goals, what you want, what it's going to do for you, and document a plan, how you think you're going to get there. And if that's not clear, take a stab at it. These are the steps I think I need. Go to the CTREA meeting, hook up with it, hook up with some people who have been there and done that. Get some feedback on what are the next best steps for you to take, refine that goal, and then figure out a strategy that's going to get you there, right? And imagine this, you can also figure out the gaps. What are you good at? What do you know? What's missing? There's a lot of people in that room who could fill those gaps. You don't have to do it alone. You don't have to be a secret agent. So I think a lot of
0: folks, they can wake up on Tuesday morning and they can have a team, they can have a plan and they can hit the ground running. Thank you for that. And, but I wholeheartedly agree as well because finding that mentor, whether it's somebody like you or me or your Uncle Louie or the guy you meet at Starbucks, right? When you strike up that conversation, mentors are important because success leaves clues every step of the way. And the fact is, is that to get into this business in particular, right? You don't have to recreate the wheel, right? All you have to do is execute a proven model, whether that's wholesaling, flipping getting into multifamily you know at the level i am at or getting into syndication to do what you do there's a particular model and there's a certain way to do it that's proven and all you have to do is align yourself with that strategy that asset class that best fits you that's know right. your vision your and goals. then yeah. execute right that's right that's and right act one of the things we're kind of bumping around on and I wanted to drill into a little bit was mentorship, right? And so obviously you've had some great experiences. It sounds like you've had some really strong mentors as well. I'm curious, what is the best advice you ever got and who gave it to you? (laughs) It's funny because you and I kind of already touched on it and that is just tell
1: everyone what you're doing. That literally was my, yeah. And it wasn't until I had the courage to implement that that I realized like, People want it. They genuinely want to help you. I think we feel vulnerable. Like, oh, what if they tell us we're stupid or what if they reject us? Right. But people generally overall, they want to help you. And they say, Hey, did you, I know so-and-so he can help you with this. Or I know somebody that would be interested in investing in that. Right. But like, you're never going to get these things if you're not just talking about what you're trying to do all the time. But I'll say this, Ed, you can't look disorganized and clueless about it either. You've got to be able to articulate your goals and your plan. And that's what builds credibility, right? And even if you're new, you could still have credibility by having a crystal clear path
0: and then folks are more inclined to work with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the thing, right? Is that as you move forward, you've got to be very clear about what you're doing so that you can bring everyone else along as well. Like we were talking about earlier, right? If they understand, if they know you like you, trust you, and want to work with you, as you're clear about your goals, they're going to want to help, right? That's right. And the more clear you are, the easier it is to help. Yeah. And I know that leaders tend to be readers, right? So (laughs) in terms of how you consume information, whether that's through books or audio books or podcasts or whatever, what's on your nightstand these days? Like, what are you paying attention to? Where are you getting Yeah. I'm more
1: of an audible guy these days. I like to put something on and sit on my fire pit and my back patio and just kind of listen intently. But, you know, I've started diving into the hands off investor. So I thought I'm dipping into syndication. I'm working a lot with high net worth individuals. And I would say I'm good at talking the language, I'm good at closing them on the deal, but I could do even better if I climb inside their head. And so this is a book written by a prominent investor, not an operator like us, but somebody who invests in these deals. And he's basically telling people what to look out for, how to find the, the best operators, what you should look for, when to invest, when to pull out and all those things. And I thought wow. if I can climb inside his head, then I know how to handle rejections or objections better. I can speak to them in a way that resonates even stronger. So that's one. And then who, not how is a classic one that I like to revisit every now and again. Just- I love that book. Yeah. It just, it really hits home that like, you don't have to do this on your own and you shouldn't be doing this on your own. And you should always be sort of trying to find a way to offload the stuff that you're not good at. You don't truly, you're not passionate about because there's somebody else out there that likes that stuff and they're willing to work
0: with you and you're just going to scale faster. And they're better at it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the whole point. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's former technology consultant to current c- consultant. It's the sealed highest and best use axiom, right? That's right. It, where can I spend these five minutes that it's going to add the most value to my business? Is it coding a website or is it picking up the phone and returning a call of an investor? For me, I can do both, but I'm more valuable talking to that investor than I am coding the website. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's so, right. I hear you, man. Chris, this has been awesome, man. So how about this? I'm curious about one of your deals. Can you kind of talk us through like the deal you're most proud of, how you found it, what it looks like, and where you're looking to take that project? Oh, the deal I'm most proud of. That's a tough one. theres I know there's I'm just asking to tell me who your favorite kid is. I get that. But.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you one of the most recent deals actually is an interesting one because it's a little bit of creativity and it's a little bit of a never give up story. So we've got 44 units under contract. It's more of a C-class property in southern Louisville. We're trying to buy quite a bit there right now. It's an up-and-coming area, but it's still a C area. Now, if you think about the economic headwinds that we're potentially going to be facing, right? We underwrite our properties very conservatively, so when we lay out our projections for our investors, we can do so with a great deal of confidence, but we have to face the fact that there are some things that are outside of our control and could bring those returns down a little bit. When you're operating in C-class areas, there are other things that could potentially impact those returns, too. So, there's an element of getting creative. How do you still hit it out of the park in terms of superseding your investors' requirements? So, this is where I've gone outside the US. I built relationships with some folks in Israel, and I've got Israelis that are interested in investing in the deal because they expect a much lower rate of return just simply because of the economics over there, overseas. So, even if I were to hit 12 to 14% average annual return, which is still good it is blowing it out of the park for these guys. But some of the American investors have gotten so spoiled over this long bull run, they expect 18% and turning that corner is just not going to happen anymore. So I think there's a creative piece around thinking about how you can mitigate some of those risks with your investors and still do a great job. But then we get to a point where there's some liens on the property and there's some things going on and we're trying to iron them out. And so the final PSA was supposed to be done a month and a half ago. And now we've had Two increases in interest rates, and are going in rates now on our debt, or so our, our loans from the bank. For those who are not used to that, are going to be higher. So we have to retrade on price, and this is a mom and pop owner with very poor documentation, and so the risk, you know, the banks they ask for documentation not just from us but from the owners as well, and the banks see it as a red flag that they're missing so much information. Now, all of a sudden, because of everything that's going on, they don't want to give us the mortgage. The whole deal is coming apart from out from underneath us. So we go back and we push the seller financing option, which wasn't on the table before. Right. And now we're back in the running. The seller is considering it. They realize it's the best option for them as well, because the next person that comes to the table is going to have the same issue. So we're hanging in there. Now this thing's coming back together and I think we're going to get the deal done. We're going to get international investors involved. And I think it's going to work out well for anybody. So really kind of proud about how we've approached it from different ways. Wow.
0: Talk about never giving up. Holy cow. Yeah. Dog on a bone, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. From an investment perspective, if you're working with international investors, regardless of the country, is there any additional legwork or hoops that you have to jump through with regard to like the SEC and filings and all that? Like, I'm just no, myself. no, actually. So
1: it does differ by country, but we're lucky that Israel's laws are very, they're basically identical to the United States by chance. I've heard Canada has some different things. And so you've got to take different actions and set up different types of LLCs to abide by their regulations. But yeah,
0: Israel is very close second to the US. So it's going to be a pretty easy transaction. Interesting. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Chris, I'm grateful for your time today. I actually know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. So when you're not talking about real estate, whether that's at the line at Starbucks or elsewhere, what do you like to do? Non-real estate. You know, I'm going to say I'm a
1: runner, a fitness fanatic. It's a big part of my life. Yeah, I like to stay active. I like to keep a healthy body strong body, strong mind. I think it does play a big part of my success in my life. I get up at three 45 in the morning to go run six, seven, eight miles. And I go to the gym and it's kind of a way of proving yourself every day. You know, like I can do anything. And so it just sets the tone differently, but yeah, I just a big active fitness fanatic. Awesome. And I like craft beer.
0: Anybody can get a meeting with me if they offer me craft beer. Yeah. Right on. Well, I noted and thank you for that. If someone wants to get a hold of you or watch your adventures online or follow you on social media, what's the best way to do that? Yeah,
1: I think Facebook, Chris Morin, that's Chris with a K R I S M O R I N. Find me on Facebook, get synced up, feel free to message me. I'm always posting content. You'll see me posting to attract investors. I say, steal shamelessly, borrow my methods, study them. Yeah. And for everybody listening, you know, reach out anytime. I'm always here to help. It just
0: benefits all of us. And I'd say that's the best way to get me. All right. Well, hey, Chris really good to see you. Congratulations on all your success. I'm looking forward to not only watching you as you continue to grow to 2,500 units and probably beyond, I suspect, but also, frankly, I'd like to talk with you offline about some of those projects. So thank you again. Really good to see you, my friend. And uh, thanks for joining us. Likewise. Thanks, Ed. Take care. This has been the Real Estate Underground Podcast, a CTRIA presentation. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. If there's a specific topic you want us to cover, post it in the comments. For more information on the Real Estate Underground podcast or CTRIA, go to realestateundergroundpodcast.com or ctria.com. Until next time, happy investing.